Welcome to the Steroids Podcast with your host, Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. The Steroids Podcast is brought to you by Ultimate Guide to Roids, 109-page ebook by Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Now, for the first time in bodybuilding history, you have someone with no corporate interests and no obligation to please anyone, not walking on eggshells to not offend. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the information, the whole information. The whole truth, not a full truth and a half truth, full truth. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the keys to the Lamborghini, gives you the information, and lets you decide what to do with it. It's a crime this information has been suppressed this long. Now let's get on with the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Steroids Podcast. Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand here, in California right now, because... It forced me to come home from Vietnam because my visa ran out. And now I'm here in California because of that virus. And the virus thing makes me think of internet censorship, guys, because as you've noticed, things have been being censored. And as you've noticed, there's fishy stuff about the virus, okay? And so that's why I'm always talking about, like, why it's so important to go to www.steroidspodcast.com and sign up for the VIP free email list there. It's not because I'm going to send you a bunch of shit. I'm not going to send you emails, actually. The only reason it is is so that I have your first name and your email address so that you being able to access this information wherever you're listening to this, the Steroids Podcast, is not being controlled by some technocracy, social media company, giant that can just... Boom, delete my shit off of there and then make it so that you don't have access to this information in the, the blink of an eye. They can do it. And as you've noticed, there's been people with this coronavirus thing. They say the wrong thing about the coronavirus. Boom, they're gone off social media. OK, so that's why I'm always talking about going to the website, going to the website for the podcast, www.steroidspodcast.com. And then a pop up will come up saying, Sign up for the VIP steroids podcast email list. And then that way I will have your information so that your, your information being your name and your email so that those, those uh, gatekeepers that want to censor things and want you to not be able to access this kind of information. They're not the gatekeepers anymore. Then it's a, a relationship between me and you. I can access you through email instead of having these gatekeepers, these social media companies uh, controlling what we can and cannot say on the internet. So that's why that's important. That's why I'm always talking about that. And then the other thing is that if you want to do the text, the text message, personal training or coaching with me, you know, we, we do, we do steroids diet and training on there. If you want to do that, hit me up. Um, or if you'd like to do a one hour phone consultation with me, hit me up steroidspodcast at gmail.com okay getting on to the first question this one is from jimmy who asks dear bodybuilding podcast that was really nice jimmy did hrt for three years just test 
only did a two-week blast in 2018. Yeah, that's no blast. Too short. I'm now on PCT. Did my three weeks of HCG. My balls are big. Now stopped HCG. How long will it take for my normal test to return back? What do I take at what dosage? Help, I'm scared, got crazy fatigue, can't work. Okay, so it sounds like it's been like two years since you took this cycle. And now I'm guessing you just found out how to do a PCT. So you took HCG and you did your three weeks. Your testicles grew back. But then it looks like you stopped the HCG and that's not working for you anymore. Your test went back down. So the, the PCT that I recommend and why I'm always talking about HCG being the best PCT drug is because, like you noticed, very quickly, you know, less than a week, your testicles, your balls, go back to normal size after you stop HCG. Or after you start HCG, after you start taking it. Um, and it also turns on your natural reproductive system again, okay? And then there's also studies from doctors that have treated people who have used a lot of steroids. There's a lot of people out there, guys, who have used a lot of steroids, okay? And so there's... Uh, case reports and then studies from these same doctors like endocrinologists that treated you know quite a few of these people and then they they're able to make some studies and what they found works to reverse long-term it's called hypogonadism when you don't make your own uh, sex hormones you know so like if a woman is not you know creating enough progesterone or estrogen or a man is not creating enough testosterone then, then they're hypogonad, okay? So anyways, for the guys on steroids, the research that has been done shows 3,000 IU to 10,000 IU of HCG per week, okay? And that being maintained for anywhere from three months up to six months for it to really reverse the... Uh, the really reverse the hypogonadism or the, you know, an extreme case of shutdown that isn't responding to the normal taking HCG for, you know, five or six weeks with, you know, some Novodex. Usually that's going to work to restart your natural system. But for the cases that really don't, like I said, 3,000 IU to 10,000 IU per week is what has been reported by doctors that they've used from three to six months in people to restart these guys that that you know they weren't responding to less aggressive treatments um and there is like there's a zero percent failure rate when those dosages and that chemical is applied so as far as we know that fixes you no matter what and you know what you look at a lot of athletes and stuff because a lot of guys are scared about like oh yeah you know i can't um you know, I'm scared about my fertility, okay? And so the reason why you don't really need to worry about fertility and steroids is that there's already so much data and so much research on, you know, females taking steroids and then, you know, giving birth afterwards, okay? And their process is actually more complex than creating sperm. So it's actually harder to make that happen. Um, and, and our reproductive systems, what turns them on and keeps them functioning, it works on the same... Um, hormones the same pituitary and hypogonadal hormones so it's the same that's why we use the same uh drugs for fertility men and women um so then you look at pro athletes okay all these women that take birth control and then they're able to have babies and then you look at all these pro athletes uh 
that take steroids and have a lot of kids you look at every mr olympia he's he has kids there there's none that don't have kids i think maybe phil heath doesn't have one (laughs) uh but yeah like steroids don't make you infertile okay and like i was talking about earlier with the doctors um that have helped guys who did become you know long-term longer-term infertile uh because of steroids they use that really aggressive hcg protocol and that works 100 percent of the time in the research that's documented um so that's why I'm, I'm not worried about fertility and anabolics um and for you you've got crazy fatigue you can't work you know J- jimmy the guy who asked this question you got to get back on the hcg man and you got to take that until you're you're feeling better if you can't work or you got to get back on a, a replacement dosage of testosterone one cc a week or a half cc a week um those are basically your two options so you got to choose one next question is from ian hey brother here with another podcast question but first the podcast has led me all throughout my first few cycles and i've had great results and gave me the knowledge to zap the couple problems that have arose in the ass i use insulin needles and inject daily for more stable levels I have heard heating up the vials in front of a heater makes for a quicker draw if you use small gauges, needles. But the vial says store between 68 to 77 degrees. Thoughts? Okay. I got to mention something real quick, okay? So I'm on a ketogenic diet right now. And so my heart is beating really hard. Um, Like the force of the contraction, okay? So if you guys have been on... um. A ketogenic diet before you know how after about four days or so your body starts to rebel and it can this is actually a pretty common side effect of um, being induced into keto uh, you know your brain doesn't like it uh, your heart doesn't like it and like heart palpitations or like pounding heart that's like a, a side effect of the, of the first few days when you're in ketosis so that's making my voice um, a little bit a little bit trembly actually so if you've heard a little bit of that that's what's causing that okay so Ian was asking about insulin needles and injections daily um, yeah some guys really like the stable levels um, for me I've, I've not worried about getting them like too overly stable I've never worried about uh, you know being like really uh, like fixated on that, but I do like to maintain generally stable levels. So for example, with testinanthe or testcipionate, I like to inject it twice per week with sustanon. I like to use it three times per week with propionate. I like to take it every, every day, um, or every other day. Um, and then that would be the same with something like trenbolone with orals. I like to take them every day. Um, but I, you know, I'm not taking, I'm usually not taking these things, you know, th- throughout the day and things like that, because the main, the, the big picture with the bodybuilding is to get the roids in you, get the food in you, get the exercise done. That's the big picture and to make it generally, generally even. And then these little things like, um, you know, sta- stable levels and stuff. Those are kind of the more minor issues that don't make the biggest difference. Um, 
but a lot of times these guys are doing this because of side effects and i mean if you've got really bad side effects i don't know that many people that take steroids that have like really bad side effects usually that's like acne or something and if that's the case it's usually a female hormone imbalance sometimes it can be caused by H uh, dht dihydrotestosterone getting too high or taking something like masteron or proviron which basically is dihydrotestosterone because that has an effect in your skin specifically okay but usually if you're getting acne it's because your estrogen is not right um so for that person i would probably recommend getting a blood test you can get free blood test or not free you can get private blood tests there's a website called privatemdlabs.com it's a free plug for them and uh they you can get a testosterone test estrogen test whatever you want and they contract out to labs all over the usa so that you just go to the lab they take your blood and then you get an email over uh with your lab results and your doctor doesn't find out or anything it's just private between you and the company so that's one way to like figure this stuff out um if you if if you like are don't want to get a blood test or something or you don't want to see your doctor you can use private md labs <laughs> they're, they're all over they're like all over the world you can you can pretty much use them worldwide but especially especially in america um so the other part of ian's question you heard heating up the vials in front of a heater makes for a quicker draw yes if you use small gauge needles but the vials to store between 68 to 77 degrees thoughts yeah the it does make it uh much more easy to push it through the needle uh, because the reason why you know you would want to use the smallest needle possible right because it'd be the most comfortable it would hurt the least but uh the the thing with that the catch-22 is that then it makes it so that you have to push down on the plunger hard as fuck to get it to go through that small needle and it like it can like kill your hand like you have to push so hard it's insane uh or it might explode you know sometimes the syringe will actually explode because the pressure is so great it's insane um so he's you know wanting to heat it up and the you know the vial says you know keep it between this certain temperature so the reason for that is that if you leave it in the sun or you know exposed to like a lot of light or a lot of it's mostly light um that will degrade it that will definitely degrade the hormone okay so you don't leave your steroids like in the sun that's one thing okay don't leave them in your windowsill so that you know the sun's shining on them each day you got to put them in a, a you know room temperature place that doesn't have you know a ton of light on it and then the other thing is that the reason why they don't want you to get it uh too cold is because when it gets too cold it, this doesn't apply to orals it only applies to uh injectables in oil when you get it too cold the crystals will like separate from the oil and so what was once like a clear vial that you could see through with the oil it'll turn into this like cloudy crystally uh stuff so what that's called is falling out of solution it's no longer the the steroid is no longer evenly dispersed in the oil you know it's unevenly dispersed it's gone into these little like clumps and crystals all over the place and so when that happens you know you have to fix the gear then and so that's you know that's why you don't want to get the gear too cold that's why you don't put it in the fridger 
in the refrigerator. The fridger. That's why you don't put it in the refrigerator. And uh, don't get it too cold. But if you just keep, <laughs> just keep it normal, you know, it's common sense. Okay, but those are the consequences. Those are the consequences of temperatures of oil-based steroids. And um, as far as heating them, that doesn't do anything bad to them to heat them before you take an injection. You could even put them in the oven at like 250 degrees or something to like kill bacteria. And that's not going to, you know, and do that for like 10 or 15 minutes. That's not going to like destroy your steroids or something like that. Um, the heat really is not bad. Okay. And if they did, if it did fall out of solution, like I was saying, where the crystals fall out of the oil, um, and they're not evenly dispersed anymore. How you fix that is you heat it up. So you either put it next to a heater or you run the vial under hot water, or you put a syringe in the top or sorry, a needle in the top of the vial and put it in the oven for a little bit. The reason you have to put the needle in the top is because if the air inside gets too hot, um, and there's nothing to vent it, you know, the hot air expands. So the glass will explode inside the oven. So that's why you have to have an air vent. Um, but yeah, so that's where the temperatures, if you want to heat it up to make it easier to flow through the syringe, because yes, hot oil or warm oil is less viscous than cold or room temperature oil. It's thinner. So yeah, it helps make it easier to push it through a small needle. So yeah, you can heat it up. You can heat it up, put it next to a heater, put it in a hot towel, put it in a hot rice sock. Those were popular like 20 years ago. You'd get a, a sock and fill it up with rice and then like draw a face on it or something and then give it a name and you'd put it in the microwave and for about 30 seconds and that rice would be really dense in there and super hot and then you put that on your sore muscles and it would stay hot for like 30 minutes or 60 minutes everybody named them okay next question from nicholas hey man a few questions for the next podcast what are your thoughts on the natty fitness models starting to throw references to testosterone replacement th therapy into their discourse Personally, I think it's just them starting to pave the way for them to come out and say they've been on TRT, but are somehow still natural. Total bullshit, given most of them have some series of useless product that they flog, and you can't get their look. Yeah, they're totally jackasses. Um, so, you have to understand, like, people, okay? People. A lot of people are good people. The, the, the average dude is, okay? But the people, the people that are in control, the people that want to get control, they usually are willing to do anything to make that happen. And so money is war, okay? When pe That's the way that the people, like these guys that are the fake natties or whatever, and they're flogging some product... And it's also the way that, like, a lot of businesses act, you know, they're trying to destroy the other businesses, you know, outcompete their competition and put their competition out of business. And then, you know, so it's, it's literally war. And, and so, like, with that mindset, that's like where these fake natties are coming from. Because you, you, you th say, like, how are they like a sociopath? 
Like, what is this guy? Some kind of sociopath or something? Like, like how can he just like lie like bold face like that so much? And there's so many liars and everything. And like I said before, like it's either it's either for personal protection, you know, that's a lot of guys in real life. They're worried about getting in trouble with the law, or you know, they don't. Their accomplishments aren't obviously only because of steroids. You know, they were enabled by the use of steroids. But, you know, no, nobody that's achieved something like, say, a 500-pound bench press. And then, you, you know, it's like, do you use steroids? And it's like, yeah. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. Well, you know, that's totally not fair. So that that's one reason, um, you know, why people don't say it. Um, getting in trouble with the law is another reason. And then the other reason is money. And, and they're, you know, they'll do anything because they view it as war just like those companies so they these people have no shame they have no conscience no conscience they'll do anything they are sociopaths <laughs> the if you if you rated them like on a psychological scale if you put them on tests they would score high on the sociopathy level okay so it's unfortunate and i'm not talking about the normal guys in real life that say that you know they're not on they're not on roids i'm talking about the guys that like you said are flogging some kind of product for money and they're just shamelessly lying and it's and you're just asking yourself why and how okay next question he had was thoughts on human growth hormone for women and fat loss and anti-aging what would be a good dosage okay so he, women aren't um as sensitive as men to human growth hormone um this is well documented so Women have to use higher dosages of growth hormone to get the same effects as men, but it's the opposite with steroids. Okay. So like women like that are like using steroids for performance enhancement or physique enhancement, they have to use way less dosage than men because they're a lot more sensitive. Um, but then some of them do, you know, use the same dosages as the guys. And that's, you know, you see these freaks, these, you know, female bodybuilders that are total freaks and, and it's like going, you know, it's, it's, it's doing the same thing that, you know, transsexuals do. So it's, you know, blurring the line on their gender, basically, uh, you know, doing female bodybuilding at that level. That's a total, um, just total use the same way that the competitors in the male Mr. Olympia are doing. That's female bodybuilders you know, taking as much of the male hormones as they possibly can handle and, you know, doing whatever it takes to win. That's, that's part of the, the name of the game in bodybuilding guys. That's part of what that means when you hear bodybuilders saying you got to be able to do whatever it takes, whatever the consequences you're willing to do it, stuff like that, that, you know, being being willing to take the massively abusive dosages of drugs is included when they say that um human growth hormone is really good for anti-aging okay because um, so hormones are too like once a woman hits menopause a lot of women are worried about breast cancer from using estrogen and that's a reality estrogen is carcinogenic testosterone is not estrogen is um, but that's why a lot of them are not the same after they, uh, hit menopause, they lose their hormones and same with men when they get older and have low hormone levels, personalities totally change and stuff. Hormones 
totally have a huge factor on controlling your personality. So, um, human growth hormone and fat loss for women, you know, two IU to four IU per day. Um, the normal person that is an adult makes something like a half IU per day, maybe a little less. So when you're doing two to four or five IUs a day, it makes a difference. And the reason why it benefits with anti-aging so well is because it directly builds collagen. And that's one of the main things that happens when you get old is your skin loses collagen. It loses its elasticity and thickness. So it directly reverses that to take human growth hormone. Um, I've noticed actually in my travels that different races um, have different um, like collagen factors that determine like what, what the women like look like when they age. Like for example, when I've been in Asia, I've noticed like really that the, the women there, their skin has an elasticity that the women that I'm used to seeing in America. So more like Latinos, whites and blacks, um, the, the women in Asia, their, their skin, when they get older and they're like 35, it still looks the same as like a 20, 20 year old or a 25 year old. The skin doesn't like change. It doesn't, uh, lose collagen as quickly, but then once they do hit like around 40, then it goes downhill pretty quickly and they do lose that collagen and, and catch up with the other races. <laughs> but I've noticed that like, for example, in, in my experience from what I've seen, white women, Latino women, black women, usually, you know, their skin's looking like it's taken a major hit by the time they turn 30. And when I'm in the, when I'm in Asia, uh, I've just noticed using my eyes that that's not the case. And then the other thing that I noticed is that they can have babies and then wear bikinis and you can't even tell that they've had a baby. Like their skin doesn't have stretch marks. And that's another thing that made me think, what the heck? Like some of them do. Yeah. But a lot of them don't. Um, and, and that was what made me, me, I started going, what the heck? There, there's gotta be something different about their skin because you know, I'm, I'm not used to seeing that until I went there. So growth hormone thickens your skin. It, it does it really well. It's, it's the best anti-aging drug for, for women. Yeah, I would say that definitely. Okay. And, uh, Nick's last question. Uh, you said on a few podcasts that carbs straight after workout is like adding fuel to your steroid fire. Why is that? How much carbs should be taken immediately after working out? Okay. Yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about it. So <clears throat> working out, going to the gym, it's a very catabolic event. You're, you're breaking down muscle tissue. Okay. It's you're, you're literally like kind of pulling it apart, breaking it, making it have a lot of trauma. Um, and when you do that, it's requiring more protein. You need new protein or else that muscle protein, it's been destroyed. So it's a catabolic event, not eating, fasting. That's a catabolic event. Things that make your body smaller, break you down, stress, going for a run, weightlifting. It's all stress. It's all catabolic. Okay. It breaks you down. Okay. And then you, you build up stronger afterwards. So going to the gym and weightlifting, it's basically the most catabolic event of your entire day. Okay. So unless you like to eat right before you go to the gym and have a big meal, then 
when you get out of that gym, you got to stop that catabolic event. Okay. And what stops all catabolism? Insulin. Okay. And so that's why you eat sugar as soon as you exit the gym, because the insulin comes out. And as soon as that insulin is in your blood, bam, it blocks the cells from releasing nutrients into the bloodstream. So they, they only uptake. Okay. So that's why getting insulin into your blood and sugar into your blood, that that's like the main advantage of it is it cuts off that catabolic event and makes you anabolic instantly. And then the other thing is that your muscles are more sensitive to carbohydrate storage after a workout. They're the most sensitive that they're going to be. And the extreme sensitivity really only lasts for like around an hour after your workout or so, 30 to 60 minutes, really like it's, it's right when you finish your workout. That's when they're the most sensitive to the carbohydrates. It's caused by this thing called GLUT4 receptors appearing on the outside of muscle cells that enhance carbohydrate transport inside the muscle cell. And carbohydrate transport is important. Why? Because glycogen is made out of carbohydrates. And that's what your muscles store as fuel. And it gets released during the workout. And the harder you train, the more GLUT4 receptors are made on the outside of the muscle cells that enhance carbohydrate absorption. Okay? So that's why I talk about that. And also getting those uh, carbs in and you get that quick acting protein in there. It's like a jackhammer when that insulin and the blood is full and you're on steroids. Nutrient timing totally matters on steroids. That is a that is a thing that doesn't matter for naturals, but it matters for people on steroids. All right. Next question. I don't know who what this guy's name is, but he's got a question. Hey man, he's anonymous. Question for you. Can trend cause a sweet tooth? Yes. About eight weeks into my cycle, but the last two to three, I've had mad cravings for sweet food. In particular, things like gummy bears. I like gummy bears too for working out. So we were just on that topic of what to eat after workout. That's one of the best things you can eat is the gummy bears. Why? Well, it's got to be the right brand. It's got to be the gold bears. The gold bears. The ones you see in 7-Eleven. And those gold bears... They're made with glucose syrup. So they're not made with a normal sucrose sugar where it's half the the sugar molecule is half fructose, which screws up your insulin sensitivity and is not good for you. And then the other part is glucose, which can go into the muscle, which fructose can't even go into the muscle. So that's how normal sugar is. And most candy uses normal sucrose-based sugar. But the uh, the gold bears... <laughs> the gummy bears, they are made with glucose syrup. And so they, the, all, the, all the sugar can go right into your muscle and all of it stimulates insulin release and it doesn't hurt your insulin sensitivity as much. Kind of enhances it if you do it right after the workout. But if you're having a lot of insulin spikes at other times, then no, it doesn't really enhance your insulin sensitivity. So, whew. Can trend cause a sweet tooth? Yes. Why? Because trend totally increases your insulin, your muscle insulin cells sensitivity. Your muscle insulin sensitivity. Your muscle cell insulin sensitivity. It increases it a lot. So what you'll notice is that on trend, 
your blood sugar will be more up and down. The same thing with superdrol and even testosterone to some degree. Um, you you won't you'll feel more desperate for food at times, and and what that is is it's your blood sugar getting low, because since the muscles are extra sensitive to insulin, there you know it's a very low level of insulin only that is required to move the carbohydrates and the blood sugar across the cell membrane into the muscle, um, but the other tissues stay the same. Uh, the same sensitivity. They don't have that increased sensitivity. And so then you have the, the muscles stealing all of the blood sugar and nutrients out of the blood. And it can be kind of like volatile. So yeah, that is normal. Usually if you eat a diet that is bro food, which I think most people that want to like be strong, be lean, but they don't want to become monsters. And, um, you know, they mostly just want to be like... Um, you know, a muscular ripped guy, but but not, you know, like a huge guy. You know, if, if you just eat bro food, you'll pretty much, that's pretty much the diet for that. You know, stick into that pretty strictly. And then um, that kind of diet too, it, it will really help your blood sugar. So when you eat sugar, it, it makes your blood sugar be way more volatile and more dependent on more sugar. But... When you eat stuff like, you know, rice, vegetable, beef, rice, vegetable, fish, potato, chicken, green vegetable. When you eat stuff like that, the the blood sugar is way more under your control where you won't feel like your need for food controls what you do. And instead, you'll feel more like um, you control your body and you set you tell it when you need to eat instead of it basically hijacking your free will and forcing you um so if you're having cravings and you want to get like ripped or something then yeah i would recommend going to more of a bro diet a pretty strict one on the trend uh but junk food has its place guys junk food builds muscle many bodybuilders say this and all bodybuilders know it um you know you see a lot of bodybuilders that you know have fast food and stuff like that that's because it builds muscle that stuff seriously builds muscle okay so you know some ice cream um some breads cakes stuff like that when you're bulking and you're on the right drugs stuff like trend um it doesn't go to the fat okay if you're on like growth hormone or trend or super draw and you're eating, you know, stuff like that, it does not go to the fat. It goes to the muscle and it makes you big and strong as, as fuck. It makes you big and strong as hell. And that all just goes back to the principle is like protein. Yeah. Protein builds muscle, but carbs build strength and performance or they fuel the, mu the muscle to enable strength and performance. Okay. Next question is from BJ. So my buddy has been talking about this supplement he started taking as a pre-workout called Kratom. He said it gave him mad appetite suppression and crazy energy. Do you know anything about that stuff? Boy, you asked the right guy, bro. <laughs> Do I know about this stuff? Man, uh, back in, in 2014, I was that, that's how I got my start um, doing stuff on the Internet, actually, was uh, um, teaching people about Kratom. And um, so Kratom is a herb. It comes from Southeast Asia and it has like mood enhancing properties and really strong pain relieving properties. 
um, and can give you like some euphoria. So anyways, the reason why I started taking Kratom was because I had a repetitive motion injury and really couldn't use my hands because it was in my forearms, my wrists. And, uh, and it went on for a long time, like over six months. And, you know, the doctor was prescribing me like opiates. Uh, well, he was, he was trying to get me to take a lot of tramadol. Right. And when I took the tramadol, I didn't like it. And I could tell that it was like, I'm not taking tramadol every day. And basically I was in constant extreme pain basically because I had it in my, my ribs too. So, um, it was giving me pain to breathe. You know, I had, I had these repetitive motion injuries from working at in and out burger <laughs> when I was in college and the, I was looking for an alternative and I found out about Kratom and it worked and I took it for a year straight. I took it two or three times a day for a year straight. Each dose I took would be about one tablespoon, about nine or 10 grams. And, um, yeah, it helped me a lot. I don't take it anymore. Um, if you take it long term, like every day or most days, it's it's like anything else. It's like coffee. It, it It's pretty similar to coffee. When you try to stop taking it, you'll feel pretty much like shit for about one day. And then the next day, you'll feel like mostly normal. And on the third day, you'll be back to normal. Um, and that that's coming from me having used it, um, you know, every day, multiple times per day for a year like that. So... Um, that's, that's what I did because basically Kratom has the same pain relieving benefits, you know, like 10 grams of Kratom can give you the same pain relieving benefits. If you have chronic pain as like 10 to 15 milligrams of Vicodin, and I'm not kidding you, like it might even be better. Like the pain relief on Kratom is it's very complete. And the, the fact is that it, it, it does hit your opiate receptors. Okay. That, that is like mostly how it works. But it doesn't hit the same opiate receptors that morphine-based drugs hit. Okay, it hits a different class, and this different class of more of uh, of receptors for opiates, uh, it's not addictive in the same way that the kind that morphine and its derivatives, uh, like you know codeine or uh, Vicodin, whatever, it's it's not as addictive as the kind that those morphine-based drugs hit so that's that's why it does cause some addiction like similar to coffee you know the first day off of it you you'll feel like shit but the way to get off of it the best when you stop taking it is to taper it down and you know with the way that i do it tapering it down when i've done it i've got on it and got off of it multiple times i don't really use it anymore except for every once in a while you know it's got potent potent antidepressive effects okay and it it puts you in a good mood. It puts what really matters and what's important in your life. It puts your goals right on the front of your mind. Dude, using Kratom helped me, okay? I think Kratom is, like, freaking freaking awesome. Um, but let me think about any, anything else. Okay, yeah. So the people in Southeast Asia, why they usually, why they, they used it was because they would use it um, to stave off fatigue when they were working in the rice fields because it's, like, hot in the sun, and the sun is really painful in Asia. So you don't ever want the sun to st touch your skin in Asia because it, it hurts. It doesn't feel good like it does in the West. Um, so they would use kratom. They would chew on the leaves because it, it's come from the leaves of a tree, and then they grind it up into a powder, and that's how you, you take it, uh, you eat it. But uh, so they... they they would eat it, right? And it would make them be able to work, you know, out in the sun for like 10 hours a day. 
uh, because it gives you this euphoria when you exercise on it. Like if you go to the gym on it, I used to use it as a pre-workout before I go to the gym. Um, back during that, back during around that time. And then, um, actually with Tony huge too, I, I've said before that I don't like that guy, but I'm not going to get into that anymore. But you know, we used to be buds. Um, so he, he knew that I was the Kratom expert. So we did a bunch, I, I basically like introduced him to it and then he got really into it. And so we were using, uh, because he asked me to introduce him to it. You know, he was like, teach me about Kratom. Um, and then we were taking it pre-workout for a while there and yeah, you can work out for like about two and a half to three hours without getting tired. Um, and you feel like really euphoric, like this warm glowing feeling like in your chest uh while you're working out like yeah that's kratom i i do not recommend just buying any regular kratom though because there's a lot of shit kratom so here's another plug i'm gonna give because i just talked about i just talked about uh kratom so much i gotta tell you guys you know where you can get it so this is another free plug that you know, this company is going to get, um, without, without me saying, without me getting paid for it. Um, but anyways, for me with Kratom, the quality has always mattered better than the consistency. I've bought cheap Kratom and sometimes it's been good and sometimes it's been bad. But then this other company that my friend owns, um, he, he lives in Idaho. Um, and he owns a, a Kratom company. And it's always good, but it's more expensive. It's like double the price of the other companies, okay? But it's always good every time. It's always the same. The Kratom never changes. And that's called happyhippoherbals.com. So that's um, where I've used it, and I know it's high quality, but the price is not good. Um, all right. Next question. <laughs> Chris asks... What do you think about mixing orals like Dianabol and Winstrol? It would be synergistic or it's a stupid thing to do. I like it a lot. Those mixing orals is super effective. It seems actually like the lower dosages are much more effective with orals when you mix them. Like 30 milligrams Winstrol with 30 milligrams of Anivar. It seems like the Winstrol and Anivar both work better. It really has like a synergistic effect. Same thing with what you're talking about, like Dianabol and Winstrol or Dianabol and Anadrol. They totally work together, just like stacking any other steroid. It works really strongly. So taking 50 milligrams Dianabol and 50 milligrams Winstrol per day, yeah, it gets you really big. And then at the same time, it helps keeping you looking cut up. So... And it's going to make your metabolism really good, too, and strong as shit. Yeah, taking anabolic steroids and more of them, it works, man. Especially ones that are strong, like oral steroids. Because generally, except for like Tren, oral steroids are way stronger than injectables. And then the other exception would be like, you know, high dosages of testosterone and DECA. But we're talking high dosages we're talking in the thousands of milligrams per week where you know an oral at you know maybe 350 to 700 milligrams per week can you know be that same power as like 1500 milligrams or 2000 milligrams of testosterone depending on the oral so 
Oral steroids are very are very powerful. Do not underestimate them. And I think it's a good good thing to mix them. The strongest oral steroid in existence is Superdrol. Yes, it used to be called a prohormone, but it is the most powerful substance on earth to change your body in a short period of time, okay? More than Trenbolone. In three weeks, you can basically look like a different person from taking 30 milligrams of Superdrol per day, okay? Um, on Tren, that's going to take more like seven weeks, Trenacetate. So Superdrol, it's more toxic, and it can't be used for as long as Trenbolone. So it's less practical, and that's why Trenbolone is more popular, and also Superdrol is less well-known of working really good because people underestimate it because it used to be sold. But as we've talked about many times on the podcast, it was invented by Syntex, the same company that made Winstrol and Anadrol, okay? They also invented Superdrol. They just didn't market it because it didn't have as good of or as safe as health effects as Anadrol and Winstrol did. So they picked those instead of Superdrol. It's not like some crazy thing that China invented or something. All right. Dylan asks, how much does HCG increase estrogen levels? E1 and E2 in general. Okay, let me tell you guys, you know, when people say E1 or E2, because a lot of times you'll see that in writing on forums or something on the internet, and you're like, what the hell is E2? Why do people say E2 instead of estrogen? And the reason why is because there's two main types of estrogen in the body. There's E1, which is estron, and then there's E2, which is the really potent one, the one that matters, the one that really makes the estrogen effects in the body. And that one's called estradiol, okay? E2 is estradiol. E1 is estrone. It's similar to the way that, you know, testosterone doesn't really have masculinizing effects in the body. It's actually dihydrotestosterone, a metabolite of testosterone that has the really masculinizing effect in the body. So, you know, someone with a 5-alpha reductase deficiency genetic disorder so someone that is born without the enzyme to convert testosterone into dihydrotestosterone, they will basically look like a female. They will have X, XY chromosomes, but they will not have a penis, and um, they'll, they'll be like a female. They will have female genitals when they're born, but then when they hit puberty, um, you know, they start making some testosterone, so they get a lot of masculinization, and it really is, is a, a problem for them. Uh, causes a lot of psychological trauma so uh man i was talking about estrone and estradiol and how did i get into that all right <laughs> we're just gonna keep going to put it into perspective i'm gonna go back to dylan how much does hcg increase estrogen levels in general to put it into perspective i have blood tested at high normal 44 on an estradiol test without HCG. Now I want to start running an HCG protocol of 500 to 1,000 IUs a week. I would recommend 1,000. In one to two shots, and I would definitely recommend two shots, I want very similar estradiol levels to how it is currently, 44. Would this raise estrogen to noticeably higher levels? Yes, it would. Okay, HCG raises estrogen quite a bit, and it also raises estrogen sensitivity. So if you are on the same amount of testosterone and then you add in HCG, you'll notice that you get a lot of estrogen more than what you had on only the testosterone. It, it makes a big difference. So if I was running, like say I'm running 
1,000 milligrams of testosterone per week, for example, and I'm running a half a tablet of letrozole, so 1.25 milligrams three times per week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, okay, to deal with uh, keeping estrogen on 1,000 milligrams per week. My balls are shrunk, and, you know, I'm not producing natural testosterone or much sperm, okay? <laughs> Thank God I take HCG year-round because I do not like having shrunk balls, okay? Sometimes I do go off of it, actually, and my balls do shrink up, and then I'm like, I hate this. I hate this. Okay, so uh, at that point, if I started taking the HCG, well, a few days later, I'd noticed that my scrotum was more relaxed or like that really thin skin look with like vein veins right because when you're on steroids <laughs> it changes your scrotum texture because it makes it so that the muscle that controls the scrotum it doesn't work anymore you know the the, the muscle that controls it to um you know control the temperature of the testicles so that they can produce sperm you know at the right temperature so hanging them down away from the body since you stop producing sperm that just doesn't work anymore and and it just shuts that muscle off so your your test your scrotum never like gets fully relaxed anymore it like doesn't really have that capability and then you start taking hcg and it's like oh, i forgot i forgot what my scrotum um <laughs> uh, It'll raise estrogen, man, to take the, the HCG. So if I did that, 1,000 milligrams of testosterone, and for example, for me, since estrogen AI dosage is different for every single person, for me, I was taking three, you know, three times a week, half a tablet of Electro, and I started HCG, I'd probably have to up that to five times per week, half a tablet of Electro, okay? Four or five times a week. I'd have to take more. Okay, next question is from joe how do you know if gyno is caused by testosterone or trenbolone the treatment is different from what i understand yeah testosterone gyno is estrogen gyno so how you start noticing that is you'll you'll be walking around and you'll like notice your nipples against your shirt that's not normal for a guy that like that's what happens to girls when they're on their period they say oh my nipples became sensitive Okay, so for a, for a guy, you never notice your nipples when you're walking around, okay? So you'll start noticing that they're there. You'll start, like, being aware of them. You're walking around, and you're like, what the hell? Why, like, like you, you can sense your nipples, and that's not normal. And so then um, it, it will start to, like, kind of burn or itch and swell, stuff like that. That's estrogen gyno, okay? The, the nipple looking really flat and relaxed and and getting bigger that's estrogen gyno um and then trenbolone gyno it's it's different um trenbolone gyno is prolact prolactin and progesterone based gyno and a lot of times it's mixed with estrogen at the same time you know because maybe you're taking test and trend at the same time um and so prolactin progesterone gyno it won't budge unless you use the right drugs for it so like um, Novadex and, you know, Arimidex or Eximestane, Letro, they normally won't affect trembolone-induced gyno. Um, so what you have to, to do is you have to combine the estrogen gyno drugs with the prolactin progesterone gyno drugs so that you have all bases covered. And then you can start, um, you know, it works to start shrinking the trend gyno. And that's more complex 
sounding than it actually is. But what you need is you need um, you need an AI, an antiestrogen. So let's say eczemestane. You need Nolbidex to block the receptor at the nipple from estrogen. And then you need cabergolin to reduce prolactin levels. Okay, and when you have those three, then it doesn't matter if the gyno is testosterone gyno or trembolone gyno, it's going away if you use those three at the same time. Normally, if it's estrogen gyno, which is more common, the kind that is itchy and kind of swells, that kind, you can just, you don't, you don't need to use the cabergolin. You can just use the other stuff. So guys ask me a lot of times, like, can, can you shrink your uh, gyno from puberty? Hell yeah, dude. This is the, the you got to use that protocol right there. There's an article on bodybuilderinthailand.com that says how to shrink and get rid of gyno. And it's got the instructions of how to get rid of, uh, you know, puberty gyno, how to get rid of trend gyno, how to get rid of testosterone gyno. It's on the homepage where you can click it. It's got like a picture of a girl with big boobs on the front. That's how you'll know which one it is. You know the right one. You'll see that, see her. So that, that um, Trembolone gyno, I got to talk about Trembolone gyno too. It feels different. In addition to being caused by different factors, it also feels different. So it's a deep pain and a sting. Uh, it's not a burning. It's a stinging and a deep pain and aching. Okay, so if you bump to your chest and you'll kind of notice this, too, because you do bump your chest on things like on a regular basis, you just don't notice it. But like if you're if your nipple kind of like touches like a doorway or something on the way out or like, you know, kind of touches the wall or something sometime or just anything, you know, the fridge door, it'll be like, ah, and, and uh, just when you barely tap it too. It'll be like this pain, like this stinging, deep pain inside the inside, not on the outside, inside. And uh, you also notice a hard lump inside, and that's that's what trend gyno is. Okay, last question for today. Grant asks, in your book, you recommended when using Clen to start at 20 micrograms, then bring it up by 20 a week. How long do you recommend doing this for? And how long should I do this cycle? Never used clenbuterol before. Okay, yeah, clen for burning fat. Very good fat loss drug. It, it really works. Um, and in my book, An Ultimate Guide to Roids, that's what Grant is talking about. I talk about, um, you know, ramping the dosage up to use it. So whatever dosage of clenbuterol that you're on, your body kind of has this adaptation process to the side effects and to the most potent fat burning side effects pretty quickly, like within about a week. Um, so if you started on 20 micrograms or if you started on 80 micrograms, um, you know, 80 micrograms is way more powerful than 20. Um, but at the end of the week, the, the 80 micrograms, you know, it would probably be like the same potency, maybe, you know, it's going to reduce like half of its potency, you know, like going on week two or so, something like that. It really works good when you first start taking it. Uh, it never does stop working though, either. Um, and the way that I like to use it and the way that I recommend using it is to just use it through your whole diet, uh, when you want to start using it during that diet. Uh, if you want to use it during your diet, you pick that time when you're going to want to start using it and then just use it until you finish. Um, because you can keep using these little dosages, like starting at 20 micrograms and it's effective at 20 micrograms, right? Like it, yeah. At the end of like a week, you will be pretty damn adapted to that. So you can just 
increase it another 20 micrograms to 40 micrograms. And yeah, it's effective. And next week you increase it to 60. Um, and then, you know, and so on, 80, 100, 120, 160. And you know what? Going up past 160 to to um, 200 micrograms, that's pretty much the cap before it becomes really uncomfortable. Um, it, but even at those dosages, you will you will uh, have some adaptation over time. Uh, clenbuterol, the body really adapts to it. Um, with with those high dosages, once I I don't like to take more than 120 micrograms personally. When I ramp up, you know, so if I did, if I did 20 for one week, 40 for one week, 60 for one week, 80 for one week, 100 for one week, and 120 for uh, two weeks to finish it off, that would be seven weeks on clenbuterol. I don't need more than that, and it would have been effective the whole time. So that's the way that I use clenbuterol and recommend it. If you would like your questions to be answered on the Steroids Podcast... Go to steroidspodcast.com and leave a comment with your questions or email or private message steroidspodcast at gmail.com or steroidspodcast on Instagram. Until next time.